Yo, in a minute with Evan Lovett, and I'm here in my second home, a.k.a. the I Am Studios in the heart of Los Angeles. And this is another episode brought to you by the folks at Cerritos Auto Square, which is a very good thing this time, because we're taking a road trip. Yes, indeed. Heading to my second home, the place I call LA's Backyard, Vegas, baby, Las Vegas. Check this out. More than 4.8 million people in L.A. County visit Vegas in any given year. And since 2019, 270,000 people have moved from L.A. to Vegas. So, yeah, I'd say that qualifies as our backyard. As much as people love Vegas and think about Vegas for the nightlife, the day clubs, Cirque du Soleil, the strip, sports books, roulette, blackjack. Vegas is more than that. Much, much more. I know people that have moved out there from my wife's cousin to our CPA to some good friends and they didn't go there for any of that so-called fun stuff. They went there because Vegas is becoming a metropolis, a force to be reckoned with throughout the world, economically, culinarily, and yes, dare I say, culturally. I'm going to get into all that. But you know what this is reminding me of? That's right. The origin of Los Angeles. That was another desert adjacent frontier town without enough resources to thrive that has thrived beyond anybody's wildest imagination. So that being said, I'm going to dive into this concept. Is Las Vegas the next Los Angeles? Let me explain. All right, y'all. Let's get into it. So we start with something that happened in L.A. this week. It's big news. It's on a lot of newspapers. (laughs) A high-speed rail project that's going to link L.A. and Las Vegas received $2.5 billion in bonds from the Department of Transportation. This is that project called Brightline West. It's been in the news. They had a $3 billion federal grant around October. But check this out. This fast tracks it to be open by 2028 in time for the Olympic Games in Los Angeles. You know I'm excited about the Olympics. Again, going back to 84, but we're not talking about the Olympics. This this Bright Line West, by the way, this is a 218-mile electrified line that's going to run from Rancho Cucamonga to Vegas in just two hours. It's going to stop in Hesperia and Apple Valley, at least as of now. Those are kind of TBD. And the train is going to reach speeds of up to 200 miles an hour. And check this out. Red tape, bureaucracy, California. Company already has the federal permits, the labor agreements, and the land. It's basically going to be running down the 15. So they're ready to put shovels in the ground and build the line. And construction's expected to begin early next year. As far as L.A., It's going to link through the Metrolink commuter train system directly to downtown and Union Station. So stay tuned for that. But stay tuned because any excuse to talk about Vegas is a good excuse. And this has been on my mind for a long time that Vegas is turning into Los Angeles. And it's funny because last week I just went on a road trip to Vegas It's my favorite place outside of L.A. It's like home to me. I stay at at the same hotel, the Cosmo. I have my routine, but my routine involves delving and exploring anything new, chalking up observations, and honestly, 
marveling at this continuous growth. Every time I go there, there's expansion, there's development. Again, this is what LA must have been like 100 years ago. And don't forget, it's not the glitz and glamour. For me, I've been going to Vegas since I was a kid. My dad was a boxing manager. And we take that monthly road trip in his Nissan 300ZX, the white one with the T-tops. Back then, it was all about Pear Blossom Highway, where my pops would open it up to 100 miles an hour plus on those hypnotizing highway hills of Pear Blossom. I mean, look, as a kid, that's beyond roller coaster. I know it's dangerous, but I was loving it. And now what's funny, I drive slow now. There's a difference. But I have those memories emblazoned on my brain. And... That's probably a reason why Pear Blossom is known as Death Trap Highway. It is. You can take it and see those billboards. And thank goodness for the for the 210 to the 15 nowadays that we don't need to take Pear Blossom. But I have those memories of Vegas, man. And my dad, along with my mom, they take me to Caesars. That was his that was their favorite place to stay. Circus Circus, of course. By the way, side note, I did go to Circus Circus this weekend, and talk of its demise is wildly premature. No, they haven't updated in a long time, but it's not as dirty and bad as some people have told me. It's a fun place still. But my parents are taking me to Caesars, Circus Circus, the Dunes, the Sahara. And when the Mirage opened, it's when a new chapter in Vegas began. White Tigers, a live volcano, the best arcade on the Strip, which was right next to an in-house ice cream parlor. This place was revolutionary, especially to an 11-year-old me. They also took me to Fremont Street, downtown. All around town, the seedier casinos, the outskirts. My dad used to collect casino chips, so we'd always have to make stops. Toots, that's what he called him up. We're going to go to such and such hotel. It's only like nine miles out of town away from the Strip. And Vegas felt like a desert. It felt like an outpost back then, aside from the Strip. Because the Strip was the main attraction. And, you know, that that was Vegas, right? That That's what we all thought of as Vegas. That's what I thought of as Vegas. And I picked back up with the monthly trips when I was 21. At least according to my idea, I was 21. It's probably around 18 when I really started going again every month. And already by then, Vegas had turned into something different, right? At that point, especially for me, where I was in my life, anything and everything goes. Road trips with my boys. Sometimes we'd literally drive there just for the date and turn around and come back. But we'd stay at spots like the Westward Ho or eventually Luxor, Mandalay. These were honestly nonstop fun fest i mean it was vegas there was raw there was rum jungle body english palms in hard rock starting to evolve off the strip and don't forget about clubs off the strip the beach drays day drinking night drinking every kind of fun you could think of but vegas was evolving and i felt it i noticed it and even as i got married my wife she likes to have fun she loved to have fun growing we we, we had some fun times so we'd step up our game a little bit, and hotels were evolving. Monte Carlo, Venetian, win an encore. And we discovered my favorite, the Cosmo. And look, we toned down the partying a little bit, but Vegas felt like it was growing up. Bellagio even is just a different vibe. They weren't as themed. It was like, okay, Vegas is changing. And along with my wife, we'd explore the city, and we'd know there's development these towns are popping up henderson summerlin lake las vegas before they were like maybe areas that we'd heard about but now they turned into like cities and starting to feel like the outskirts of la dare i say the valley santa clarita think about that especially looking at that and vegas kept growing and growing 
and going back this week, two weeks ago, growing. I mean, every direction, it feels like a city and it feels like the strip. Yeah, it's part of it. Of course it is. Just like Hollywood's part of LA, but that was the main attraction. That was what it was about. Guess what? Not anymore. Look at these numbers. Check this out. In 2000, the Metro Vegas population was 1.3 million. 2010, 1.9 million. 2020, 2.6 million. The population doubled in 20 years. How about just since 2020 to now, it's already increased 350,000 people. Come on, people keep coming to Vegas and it ain't just for the strip. It's expanding, it's evolving. Just like somewhere else evolved wildly and rapidly. Somewhere close to home. My home, in fact, Los Angeles. Check out these numbers. In 1900, the population of LA was 102,000. 1910, 319,000. 1920, 576,000. 1930, 1.2 million bona fide metropolis. That is astronomical. That is ridiculous growth. Because of a ridiculous evolution in a place they said couldn't be lived in and couldn't support a metropolis. They were wrong because it evolved. Different time, different century, but same growth. And think about this. As I love to talk about, my favorite era in Los Angeles man, has become the 19th century. But up until 1880, L.A. was the wildest of the Wild West. It was the murder capital of the world in the 1850s. Los Angeles, we're talking about. Calle de los Negros. Now Los Angeles Street was the last place anybody would want to visit and definitely not anywhere to live. And again, I got to repeat, L.A. only had water. The L.A. River could only support 100,000 people. So how big could the city get? You know how big? Well, you had agriculture, oil, real estate, and of course, Hollywood. And everything changed. And thank you, William Mulholland, for frankly stealing water from 270 miles away and building that L.A. aqueduct to ensure the city would keep right on growing. L.A. came out of nowhere. A flimsy laughing stock. Sound familiar? Tinseltown. Oh, one trick pony. And even still, as late as the 70s, Woody Allen said, the place whose greatest cultural contribution is a left turn on red. But guess what? Now it's one of the world's great cities, a powerhouse, a bastion for diversity, cuisine, lifestyle, and culture. That's right. You know LA still has my heart, but Vegas isn't quite there yet. But it is primed. And I'm going to tell you why. Check this out. There are three major sports teams in Vegas. Oh, sports. That's why Vegas is a major city. Big deal. Yeah, I know. I know. I get it. Sports is is lower on the, the priority, the human priority list. It's fun. But, but listen, sports is a billion-dollar-a-year industry, billions of dollar-a-year industry. And the Golden Knights of the NHL hockey team moved there in 2017. And I raised an eyebrow. I think a lot of people did, not just because it's hockey in the desert, but that even makes it more of a, a, a fun <laughs> quirky aspect but how's it gonna work vegas is a town of transients nobody lives in vegas just like los angeles in 1920 was 81 percent transplants what how do you support a team well guess what 
Not only was the team surprisingly good and the arena beautiful, but the city embraced it. And again, I, I want to be clear. People are like, how is this going to work? This is the ultimate transient city, at least according to outsiders. But I went to a game during that expansion year and the fans were wild. Fans are passionate. And now seven years later, gear is all over town. And they got dope little Vegas hats. One that has that like font in a, in a vertical, like V-E-G-A-S. And I was like, that's a dope hat. Oh shit, that's a Golden Knights hat. Anyway, cool stuff. But three years later, <clears throat> how does this sound for you Los Angeles folk? The Raiders came to town. My Raiders. Formerly the Los Angeles Raiders. And yeah, they made a stop in Oakland. And that's where they were originally from. But this is the Raiders I grew up with in my literal backyard. Now moving to my proverbial backyard. And you think the nation isn't happy about the team being in Vegas? Then you, you don't know Raider Nation. That trip on Southwest is about 40 minutes, 119 bucks, And you better believe those Saturday and Sunday flights feel like the Coliseum did back when Bo Jackson and Marcus Allen were carrying the rock. And Al Davis was breathing the commitment to excellence. So we're talking about L.A.'s former team moving to L.A.'s backyard. Well, that's kind of a perfect lineage right there. But it's still just sports, right? But I'm still not done. That stadium, Allegiant Stadium. Allegiant, by the way, an airline based in Las Vegas. And we're going to get to that. But putting it down, that is a gorgeous stadium. And the smart move, check this out. It's on that south end. You drive, you know what I'm talking about. It's like the entrance to the strip. It's like the first thing you really see. Not from a, like, you know, the stratosphere, but it's like, oh shit, I'm really in Vegas. I'm on the strip, especially when you're coming from LA. It's a welcome to the city. But symbolically, because, wait a minute. The Strip, now i got a stadium. I thought this was about gambling and party. Oh, we have other things. What a statement. That is when it gets real because especially the NFL is big boy dollars. And setting up shop in Vegas and making it the first thing you see when you're coming into town, that's big time. And then, and then there's the Oakland A's, or should I say the formerly Oakland A's because Vegas is where they're going to be housed and they're moving from small market laughing stock, sorry Oakland, to badass baseball team. Now think about this analogy. This is LA in the mid 20th century. Went from no pro sports teams to the Rams, the Dodgers, and the Lakers, all within about a decade. Soon to be followed by the LA Kings, which by the way is the reason Jack Kent Cook built the fabulous form in the first place. This is a stamp of approval. This is a rite of passage to be a major city, to be a metropolis. Three sports teams in less than a decade, okay? That is why I led with that. And as I promised, it's not all about sports. The economy. That's important. We always throw that term out there and kind of laugh because like they, I at least imagine like a, a George Bush or a Bill Clinton say the economy and you're like, hey, you know, I know what that means, but what does that mean? Well, you know, it's important. But look, the strip is the economy and it's the main engine of growth, just like Hollywood was in L.A. But look at this. I told you about Allegiant. 
Did you know Zappos is based in Vegas? DraftKings is based in Vegas? Asturion, Penny Mac, Live Nation, Cox Enterprises, one of the largest broadband companies in the world, all headquartered in Vegas. This city is growing up. The economy is not all about Sands and MGM and Caesars Entertainment. Even though those are important, it's starting to expand. And that's when it gets really important. The economic backbone. You know what's funny? What feeds that? UNLV continues its climb up the list of top universities, especially graduate programs. Now, look. It's not topping anybody's list. I'm not going to bullshit you guys. Not UCLA and USC, but it's still early. And one of my close friends went to UNLV for grad school. In fact, now he's doctor in Atlanta. Shout out to Joe. Um, He went to UNLV and he told me, you know, great school, great place. But the graduate programs are where they shine. And I think that's a testament to the incoming brains the opposite of brain drain you've heard that term no people are coming into vegas because they know the opportunity is there especially when they're setting up for their career so i think that's super important to realize unlv is taking a big place in graduate programs now what about nature what does the desert have to offer for nature even though the desert i mean pretty sweet in itself but y'all know about red rock canyon about 20 minutes from vegas it's Nevada's first national conservation area. But what it is, it's these beautiful, vibrant red rocks and formations that's really mind-blowing and a place to, to, eat, to hike, to drive, to walk through. And it's really important because studied by geoscientists across the globe. But okay, dude, 120 degrees. I ain't trying to be out in the desert during the summer. Well, you got the Springs Preserve. They got botanical gardens, 180, 180 acres, museums, family events, traveling exhibits, trails, nature walks. I mean, Vegas is trying and they're expanding. You say it can't be done, but think about Los Angeles. What are they going to do about the swamps? You know, Venice used to be a swamp. You know, Playa Vista, Mar Vista used to be a swamp. How about La Brea Tar Pits, that whole area? I mean... Look, people are ingenious and they're making this a metropolis and they're making this work. But you want to be indoors. I get it. Vegas, I'm, I'm in the same during summer. It's darn near intolerable. Untolerable. Neon Museum. Mob Museum. Downtown Vegas Arts District. Area 15. I went there with my boy and we had a great time. Great time. We spent hours. We oohed and awed our way through three hours of visual stimulation and fun and it's indoors in the air it's really fun things to do and by the way i gotta give a shout out to the neon museum because this is a city that put neon on the map i know you got Times square but not nah, vegas did it for a different reason and it worked and it's just beautiful now all these retired neon pieces are at the museum so lily fernando they got married there it's my wife's cousin it was an awesome fun wedding it was cold it was really cold oddly enough but um no it gets cold there in the winter but it was beautiful and it's really cool. And this culture is evolving, man. It's evolving because it was all about the strip until recently. And now you're trying to expand. And the musicians and the chefs that are residents there, that have restaurants there. I mean, that's how it starts, man. That's how it grows. Electric Daisy Carnival. Come on. Huge party. But that is a cultural lodestone for Vegas and the entire techno community, man. But... 
hey, that list is just growing and it's still developing and you check back in in five years. Hopefully I'm on episode 250 and we're going to be talking about the next phase because that's where Vegas is going. But more than any of that style development, you know what gets me to think Vegas is the next Los Angeles? Check this out. I love this one. I'm going to be honest with you. The Fontaine, Fountain Blue, I think they pronounce it. I call it the Fontaine Blue, but the Fountain Blue, which follows Resorts World. Wait, 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 Ev, you're not talking about the Strip, though. What do you mean? These two big hotels, oh, they're on the Strip. Well, check this out. They both cost insane sums of money. $3.7 billion for Fountain Blue, $4.3 billion for Resorts World. That's $9 billion of investment, and they both flopped. Wait, what? Where are you going? Oh, yeah, they were complete failures. And now, look, it's still early on the Fountain Blue, but I went there, and it's cavernous. It's detailed. Excellent materials, a vast space dedicated to pure Vegas luxury. But it was empty. Dead. Eerie. Went back two nights later because I had a dinner there. Same thing. Not a soul. Okay, not there were souls in there, but compared to any other casino, and we did a lot of walking, went to a lot of casinos. Vegas is popping. Vegas is like a capacity all year round. Fountain Blue was empty, and Resorts World is the same. So much so that it has four names on front on the front of the hotel now, including the Conrad, which is, by the way, probably what they should have named it in the first place. But here is my point. Why are two flopping massive projects indicative of Vegas being the next LA? That makes no sense. But it does. Because if Vegas can have a failure of this magnitude and nobody, maybe investors, blinks an eye, what it tells me is that the city is robust. The economy is strong and diversified. And people know that the growth of this city is real. Because I'll tell you this. There was a, a hotel named the Aladdin that flopped in 1997. It was the first time I remember. And again, I go to Vegas a lot. It flopped. I think it was out of biz within like four years. And it was a huge deal. The city had an identity crisis. Could this city survive? Is Vegas going to survive if this major project doesn't work? Is Vegas already maxed out? Oh, they can't handle one more casino. And maybe there was something of a, quote, saturation at the time, which they blew right through, uh, again, with Bellagio, Cosmo, that kind of stuff. But the thing is, Vegas persisted. And the city itself is where the growth was and the development happens. And here we are today where $9 billion in investment doesn't work. And Vegas is like, yo, check out our newest suburb. We, we can't build homes fast enough. Oh, yeah, that project. Okay, whatever. So, look, Vegas can withstand a failure of this caliber and prove that it's not reliant on the strip. That's where you're getting major metropolis status. And I'm telling you, I'm excited because Vegas is going to have iterations as it is currently having. Just like Los Angeles. I'm telling you, I love this. But let me get for a second back to the Las Vegas A's. I think they're going to change it. Shout out to my boy, Lon. I think he wants to call them Las Vegas Aces. And that's a really, really cool idea for numerous reasons. But, but as of now, they're going to be the Las Vegas A's. Because I want to talk about that stadium. It's going to have a retractable roof. And it's going to be built where the Tropicana is slash was, they will be saying. And, and I have a story about the Tropicana. It's really just... 
excuse for a tiny little story too. In 1999, I went with my Best friend at the time, truthfully, David. But he was a slot machine guy. And I used to laugh. I'd be like, slot machines are for old ladies and, you know, like people smoking cigarettes. And he was a cigarette smoker. And remember back then, they used to have the coins and the buckets of coins. And the, again, I love that tactile feel. It's so cool in the sounds. But point is, we go to hotel, hotel. We end up in the Tropicana. I'm playing roulette. I have my little system going at roulette at the time, right? And he's like, yo, Ev. I used to call me Rock, actually. He's like, yo, Rock, come over here, check out the slot machine. I'm like, bro, I'm not playing slot machine. I'm not some old lady out here smoking cigarettes, bro. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> He's like, nah, dude, you got to see this. It's dope as slot machine. I'm like, ah, I mean, it's a good dude. I'm like, all right, let's check it out. Check it out. We're out here to have fun, right? And I hadn't been in the Tropicana since I was a, uh, a kid with my dad, by the way, at this point. So I was, I was like, let's check out the hotel. But we go over to slot machine. It's called King Midas. And I was like, all right, cool. King Midas, neat. He's like, no, look, watch, dude. And he pulls the the lever and, you know, gets, and we, he used to teach me max out dollar slots, right? That was just his philosophy. But so he's like, look, dude, I didn't even get a symbol and I still get two back. Now you're losing money, right? You put in three bucks because you're maxing it out at least back then, but you get two back when you don't even get a symbol. I'm like, wow, this is a pretty high, you know, not high odds, but I was like, okay, you don't feel like you're just getting wiped out. And he's playing, I'm playing, he puts in 20, I put in 20. And for some reason, I was just feeling it. I'm not, I wasn't a slot machine guy. Dude walks away. All right, dude, I'm gonna go play another machine. I'm like, I'll play again, why not? Now, remember this like it was yesterday. Hit that thing again. Gold seven, gold seven, King Midas bells go off all kinds of noises literal jackpot progressive which at the time by the way was 21 grand which is a huge sum of money to a 21 year old or at least it was to a 21 year old me and i got scared because i'm like wait did i win did i do something wrong like my boy comes over and he was happy he was dude he was genuinely happy but I won a jackpot there. And by the way, I broke him off a few grand. You better believe. And we had a hell of a time and a great trip home, by the way. But I won a jackpot at the Tropicana. So the Tropicana will always hold like a special place for me. And that's where this A Stadium is going to be built. On hollowed ground, not just for me, but the Tropicana. I don't know if you guys remember the water slide in the back. It was, again, like a next level Vegas hotel in the 60s. But it was one of the most OG places in the Vegas, in Vegas history, one of the spots that built Vegas, being replaced by a baseball stadium for a new team. This is a new era. This is the metropolitan Vegas, the Vegas for my son, all of our kids, our grandkids, which may well end up being the next Los Angeles. So think about that. And I want to drop this story. Because I got to talk about the origin story. You know I do. I'm, I'm just itching. The population of Vegas in 1900 was 50. 50,000? No, no, no. It was 50 in 1900. Now it's the 25th largest city in the United States. So how did that happen? Well, I'll tell you. Mormons tried to start a city there in the 1850s. It just didn't work because it was too hot. It's a desert. But somewhere along the somewhere along the way, they noticed the strategic location between Salt Lake City and, you guessed it, Los Angeles. 
So he piped in water and became a water station and a train station because of Senator Clark of Montana. He owned land. He was going to make it a train stop. And then it started changing. First casino came in in 1905. It was the Golden Gate. First casino in Vegas. Pretty fun. Good history, by the way. In 1910, the legislature outlawed gambling. Imagine that. They caved to the pressure. They were the last state in the union to do it. Of course, that would change. But they had a growth spurt. People were leaving Hollywood and the movie industry to go move out to Vegas, which which fueled a little bit of growth spurt. Not much. They had 5,000 people by 1930 in a somewhat burgeoning city but really an outpost because gambling was made legal again so they were lured by the gambling and you know some people like that climate but nevada had also relaxed their divorce laws required only a six-week residency in the state before they were eligible to file for divorce as opposed to los angeles which had a three-month six-month or one-year Period, based on what jurisdiction you're in. Think about that, by the way. But it was the construction of the Boulder Dam, later the Hoover Dam, during the height of the Great Depression that was the initial like spark for Vegas. It was one of the largest public works endeavors ever. And it provided two, two key commodities that made the Las Vegas of today possible. Water and power. So immediately the city benefited from the thousands of people came out to help build the dams and they liked it because they were the casinos and the other diversions brothels so the demographic was males these were these were blue collar builders from across the country no real attachment to the area because there was nothing to be attached to but it created a market for entertainment so vegas business owners and yes mafia crime lords helped develop casinos showgirl theaters more brothels more gambling to entertain these largely male damn construction workers so the northern club was opened in 1931 and other casinos were licensed on fremont street but on april 3rd 1941 thomas hull opened the el rancho which was the first resort on what was to become the Las Vegas Strip. This is only 83 years ago. That's not long. And again, it's so funny. I have that conversation all the time. This is only 60 years ago in Los Angeles because it's not that long ago and it's changed so much. And what's funny about the El Rancho, by the way, is it gained its fame from its gourmet buffet. So again, that ushered in the buffet era. But things changed quick post-World War II. Bugsy Siegel, Meyer Lansky, Built the Flamingo, 1946. High-class casino concepts. He was a pioneer of those that have been a mainstay on the Strip. And Vegas, from that point on, became the premier gateway, premier getaway for people in Los Angeles and soon throughout the world. So that's the origin story of Vegas. You tell me what you think. Did Vegas... Is it going to become the next Los Angeles? I think so. And every time I'm out there, I'm more sure of it. Let me know your thoughts. Either way, I love that city. So if you're from LA or anywhere in Southern California, you know Cerritos Auto Square and their famous slogan, they sell more, so you save more. Well, get this. 
a new documentary is coming out. It follows the creation of this SoCal institution, Cerritos Auto Square. And I didn't realize this, but it's the largest auto center by annual sales in the country. The documentary starts at the beginning when the area was all dairy farms. You know how I love to look back on Southern California history and its evolution. And I didn't realize how much work and innovation went into creating the world's largest auto center. I'm actually surprised at how interesting this documentary is. There's a ton of historical footage from old Southern California, and you know I was loving every scene. So in keeping with the theme world's largest, they're hosting the world's largest red carpet movie premiere in California. The free movie premiere will be held at 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, February 22nd at the amazing Cerrito Center for the Performing Arts. Attendance is free, but it's limited to the first 1,600 registrations. So make sure you secure your ticket at CerritosAutosquare.com slash movie. Again, the free movie premiere will be held at 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, February 22nd at the Cerrito Center for the Performing Arts. Free tickets can be secured at CerritosAutosquare.com slash movie. I'll see you there. So now for your one thing to do in L.A. this week. I mean, I'd say go to Vegas. That's an easy one, but it's not. We can't all just get up and go to Vegas. But I'll tell you this. In honor of the Bright Line West project that's going to enable us to just get up and go to Vegas, go to Union Station, downtown L.A., it's the largest railroad passenger terminal in the Western United States. And check this out. It's regarded as the last of the great train stations. Think about that. Where, why are they building great train stations? This is the last one built. And it is a great train station. It is beautiful. I'm, I promise you, outside and in, get your, your iPhone 15 or whatever ready because you're going to be taking some awesome pictures of this. The station was commissioned in 1933 as a joint venture between all the railroads at the time. Southern Pacific, Union Pacific, Atchison, Topeka, Santa Fe. And it was intended to consolidate the three main railroad terminals that were considered all the main terminal of L.A. So they were like, yo, we're just going to have one now, which makes so much sense, right? Now, the station was designed... By John and Donald Parkinson, famous L.A. architects, done a ton of stuff. And it's you'll see it. It's an innovative type of architecture. Again, I can't speak with authority on this. And I read these. It's Spanish colonial mission revival and art deco. Art deco, I do know. I like it. And I do like this style called Streamlined Modern, which is not this. But anyway, so taken together, this this Union Station, you have seen it. It is beautiful. It's referred to as Mission Modern, which is cool. Like, I guess that means like modern mission style. And it really looks like it. It's awesome. It's stunning. And it was finally completed in 1939, 85 years ago, for the then astronomical sum of $11 million, which would only be $224 million today, which actually seems like a bargain. But it opened with a lavish, star-studded three-day celebration that was attended by half a million people. And in those 85 years since it opened, Union Station captured the spirit and the soul of Los Angeles till it didn't for a while, but it's coming back because it was always a vital portal to the promise of the Los Angeles American dream and a vibrant destination for arts and culture. Hollywood, baby. That's how people arrived in Hollywood. They took the train. Union Station, woo! And now, 
they designed the station as an expression of the LA lifestyle. It has a spacious concourse, 110 foot long ticket counter. And I'm going, you go in there, this, I'm telling you, you need to check this out. It's made of American black walnut. It has this huge waiting room and 30 foot, towering 30 foot windows. It really is like that romantic vision of travel, culture, and the future as thought of back then, but come to life. We're talking art deco chandeliers, marble floors, hand-painted geometric tiles. Every detail is precise, is gorgeous. There are patios, there are palm trees, there's an iconic clock tower. You know, you've seen the clock tower. And so, within a few years of it opening, it was a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week operation bringing in servicemen, bringing in migrants. Every single day, more than 100 trains were coming in, just carrying servicemen and people moving to Los Angeles. But by the 50s, you know what happened here in Los Angeles. We started favoring cars. Planes were cheaper and more accessible. There are fewer and fewer passengers. And it remained vital because not everybody can afford a car and not everybody can take planes. And so at least by 1972, it was designated an L.A. historic cultural monument. But it fell into some disrepair and it was it was kind of gnarly. I was kind of gnarly, man. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I didn't, didn't set foot in Union Station until L.A. started kind of redeveloping. And in 2011, Metro acquired Union Station, which, by the way, it's 38 acres and 5.9 million square feet. Neglected to mention that. And they've really worked hard to restore it and re-evolve it. It's a, it's, it's a damn vibrant transportation center now. Thousands of passengers still there. And the primary hub for Amtrak and Metrolink for their commuter train services, it's got the red line, the purple line, the gold line. And it's pretty damn cool because they also use it as a public space. Performances, music, art, exhi art exhibitions. So Union Station has an experience and it's forged a new direction for culture and innovation and ideas. So, I mean, along with the Broad, the Disney Concert Hall, the Music Center, the Museum of Contemporary Art, it really makes that walk around downtown Los Angeles just beautiful. And this should be a premier destination. And that's what you got to be doing this week. Go down there, whether you use the train to go somewhere or just checking out the station. It's beautiful. It's fun. And that... It's going to be your prelude to Brightline West when you're going to be going to Union Station to take you out to Rancho Cucamonga to go to Las Vegas, which is the next Los Angeles. So thank you for listening to episode 51 of In a Minute with Evan Lovett. I hope you have fun and you're psyched to take that road trip. You know Vegas. You know how I love Vegas. Right behind LA on my list. But let me know about your Vegas memories. Your stories. I told you about mine. I want to know your thought. I always reply to DMs. You know I'm going to put up my Friday episode. So if you like this episode, please give me that five-star rating. And whether you listen on Apple, Spotify, the Odyssey app, whatever you get your podcast on, Overcast, leave a review. So important for the continued exposure and organic growth for In a Minute with Evan Lovett. I do appreciate you. I do thank you for listening. I wish you a fantastic week ahead. All right, y'all. It's been a minute.